So, a show for men and the people who love them. We'll discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's good, everybody? It's Wednesday. Shout out, shout out to everybody who's listening in the camera today, HBC and the gang. Hope y'all are doing well. You know, it's, it's Wednesday. We've been out. Hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving, did their thing. I was able to cook with my, my people, you know, shout out to Wayne. Um, my neighbor is interesting. If anybody knows me, he knows that I talk about my neighbor all the time. And, uh, he and I used to not like each other. I actually talked about that on my vlog uh, this week, that that man has actually called the police on me a couple of times. <laughs> I know, right? That's right. He's actually called the police on me a couple of times a couple of years ago. I want to hear that story. Yeah, let me tell you. And um, so we got together, made sure that I, you know, made sure that we were able to come to some conclusion, some resolution to our altercations that he and now he's my family right we call each other family and i tell everybody if you come for wayne <laughs> man i'm gonna come for you don't play we do not play at uh, club 2117 so shout out to <laughs> that's what we call it club. In, new orleans, in new orleans west yeah, that's right in new orleans west that's exactly right so we're going to chop it up today as everybody knows and if you don't know we have been really not celebrating, but really observing and participating in what is Movember. And Movember is, you know, basically the underneath that is it's no shave November, where men across the country of all races and creeds and genders, uh, well, men, there's only one gender here, men, but um, participate in growing their beards. So the theory is, is that you grow your beard, you shave your beard off on October 31st, Halloween, uh, and then you allow your beard, your mustache, and that's what it was, your mustache to grow for an entire month. Well, Movember is one of my clients. And um, so in discussions with them, I was like, it's going to be hard to get men of color to just shave off their beard, right? And so I was like, okay, we just need to get brothers to just start where you are, meet, meet us where you are, and just let your beard grow. And so that is what we have done this month is – those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, you see this beard of mine. I have not shaved my beard in 28 days. It, and as my good friend who is sitting next to me, Kalali Collins, said, have I combed it? <laughs> right. Have you have you brushed it? Have you put some oil into it? So, But Movember is about understanding and really being cognizant of testicular cancer, prostate cancer, and the issues around mental health and well-being and suicide prevention. Movember is an organization that was started in Australia in 2001. So this is their 18th year of existence. They are the largest men's health charity in the world and a number of programs that they have going on around these three areas. And what we've done and what I have done and why Kalala Collins and my other good friend Ayala Scott is here with us is that Kalala is the ex is the executive director, program director for Making Connections. And Making Connections, and I'll let her talk about that, is a community-based, resilience-based program around the country, 16 sites around the country, that is helping boys and men of color, as well as veterans, you know, really have conversations and programming from a community level, community level about how to address and ensure that our men and our boys basically have the ability to stay alive. And we know that uh, the rates of suicide for boys and men are double, sometimes triple, depending on the context where we are. And we want to ensure that we are doing everything we can to make sure that men and boys live out a full life. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And so I am very happy, as I said, to introduce uh, my sister, my sister, my good friend. We've known each other for almost three years now. We started doing this work really uh Put together, not even forced together, but it was uh, we were put together to say, hey, come on and put this program together and see what we can do. And we've developed an amazing friendship. And again, I call her family. Ayo and I have known each other cursory for a number of years, but I got to really spend some good time with him in Oakland at the Making Connections convening. And this brother is doing some amazing things. So I, I want you to make sure that you listen to his story because it is amazing. But let's get into this conversation, uh, Kalala and Ayo, and I'm going to ask you the signature question of the show. And so, Kalala, what's, oh, your, revo be first. what's your revolution? I mean, 
Oh, I've always been afraid to get that question from you. You've never <laughs> asked me in three years, so I should have an answer ready, but I don't. Um, but when I think about what my revolution or my passion or my meaning in life, um, which has been my life's work for the past 15, 20 years, is boiled down to two words, and that's black liberation. Mm. Um, and so I've been blessed to be able to hold um, positions that allow me to work towards black liberation, whether it's in the movement of anti-poverty, whether it's um, doing the work of making connections and working towards better mental health and well-being outcomes for black men and boys, whether it's working alongside Black Lives Matter movements across the country. Um, so I think it all boils down, my work always boils down to black liberation. Right, and you have done that. You know, if you if you were to Google Kalala Collins, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you were to Google Kalala Collins, you know, it was interesting. I actually did that last week. I actually did that in front of you together, yes. right? It's and not you, as fun as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get to see the, the evolution of Kalala Collins, but you've run for office, mm-hmm. right? You And you talk about that liberation. You've run for office. You've run for, I mean, not run, but you've run high-level programs across the country uh, doing amazing work around liberating our people. And so that is an amazing thing. What brought you to New Orleans? Um, it's, a, it's a long story, but I'll tell you a short story. Um, we, in 2010, we planned a march from New Orleans to Detroit, um, part of a national organization doing anti-poverty work, and we wanted to talk about um, poverty from the Delta, from the Gulf area, all the way up to the Rust Belt to compare and talk about the, the connections. Um, and it was leading up to the U.S. Social Forum in Detroit in 2010. And so we came down a, a couple times a year before to plan, build with organizers on the ground, and I just fell in love with the city. Right, right. You can. So, you can fall in love with the city. Yeah. And it and wasn't the beignets. It wasn't the – it wasn't Bourbon Street. It was the people. It was the the feeling in the air. It was – Everything but what people typically think about when they think about New Orleans. Right, so. right, exactly. Even though you spent a lot of time down on Bourbon Street. I didn't. And, and, Actually, you but know now what? You do. I, what? No, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, I, yeah, I didn't party in New Orleans until probably 2014. Right. Right. So I, I was coming down on the ground doing work. Right, so. doing your liberation. Yeah. Right, post-Katrina. So. so speaking of New Orleans, and, and I want to bring Io in, you know, you are you are New Orleans. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? When you think of, you know, when I think of New Orleans now, I, I think of Io. I met him probably, you know, maybe a couple years after post-Katrina, and you were doing the shirts with the tree, mm-hmm. right? And so introducing Io, Scott, to us, brother, you know, what's your revolution? Uh <clears throat> I think it's the same answer I, I gave when we did the the show from Oakland. Right. But uh, I have to say that my revolution is is passing it on, um, and just acknowledging that no matter where we are in life, we got here by by a means of a means of blessings, and no matter where we are, we we have blessings that we can't share with other people. Right. So capitalizing on our opportunities to open doors for other people or create a platform for other people to move forward. And acknowledging being able to meet people where they are to help pull them forward. Right, right. And that's an equitable piece that we talk about here on the show. We talk about it making connections and the work that you do. You are a talented, very, 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 you know, I don't even want just to put talent. I want to put a lot of adjectives in front of that, that you are a talented artist. And what really got you into this passion of putting your work into, like you said earlier, pictures and drawings and art? You know, what got you started in that? Um, that all really comes from my father. My my dad was an artist here in the city. Uh, his artwork can be found around the city from Waldenburg Park by the aquarium to DC Circle right up the street from here where we are now. Um, my dad was a, a pretty prolific artist. He mm-hmm. won a MacArthur Grant in, uh, 92, I wow. believe. And he taught at Xavier for over 40 years and growing up with a father as an artist, I was always immersed in the culture, although... I wasn't considering that as a career. I mean, I was bio pre-med until my junior year of college, <laughs> um, which I think most people probably look at now as really disturbing. Right. <laughs> but legitly, I, I grew up with my father as, a, as an influence, and I think that it was always something that was a part of me that I was almost denying until it was t- kind of taken out of my life. Right. Uh, after I changed my major from uh, bio pre-med to art, 
it was with a focus in graphic design. I intended to make a living as a graphic designer. But after my dad passed away in 2007, I found myself kind of missing the, the, the creating process or watching him create, et cetera. And I really believe that I've kind of found my purpose even more so since he passed away. Right. And, and in saying that my, liber- my, um, my revolution is passing it on. My dad's motto was pass it on. Right. He told him, thank you. He didn't say you're welcome. He said, pay it forward. Right. Exactly. I, re- I remember you saying that. And that is, that is something, <laughs> all this narration that's going on, uh, that is something that is interesting when you look at what we try to do with making connections. We are trying to pass it on. Right. So, Kalila, talk a little bit about what Making Connections is and, and what we're trying to do here in the St. Rock community and why this is also a national initiative around mental health and well-being and suicide prevention for men, right, men, boys and men across the country. So, yeah, so um, Making Connections came about, I think it was 2014, um, November Foundation and Prevention Institute came together to do a study on the state of men's mental health. And what they found is men are faring worse than everyone else in mental health. And they looked at things like, you know, this masculinity, men don't ask for help, men don't seek support, that being a huge piece of why men are faring less, faring out worse. But they also found that uh, men and boys of color or that marginalized men or veterans um, are having even worse outcomes because of systemic oppressions that, that play a role in their lives. And so they got together to do... Um, a funding opportunity across the nation, and they picked 16 sites to um, do some work. Um, they did a year-and-a-half needs assessment right. process, mm-hmm. and so we were able to uh, actually talk with uh, boys and men of color in New Orleans and other sites about what they thought mental health was, what they thought they needed in their lives to have better mental health or, or have better well-being, and then we built a program around that. And so... Making Connections New Orleans um, has turned into a uh, multi-layered but, but community-level strategies to address mental health and well-being. So we, we want to see more men, ex, you know, getting therapeutic treatment if they need it, but also how do we create um, communities that support uh, boys and men of color, black boys and uh, men, to thrive and be safe and right. to have better mental health and well-being right. outcomes. Right, exactly. And we know that mental health out, mental health outcomes strike every community mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. every community and how do we think about you know from a community level right to really get men and I'm going to come to you with this on IO to really get men to think about some alternative ways to address their pain right so think about what you do as an artist Right. What are some ways that you would try to attribute to men, to give to men, if you're saying pay it forward, that will allow them to address their pain in a more positive manner? Um, I, I definitely have to say I, the obvious answer for me would be finding an art form that's, that's relieving. Um, as I made my transition into trying to make a living as an artist and not just as a designer, it was right after my father passed away. It was a uh, Shortly after Katrina, it was shortly after dropping out of grad school, and I found myself like in, in I say, a much darker place. And although I've always enjoyed painting, I damn sure wasn't a good painter. <laughs> um, but I found myself doing a lot of abstract work that was really loose and really just me throwing my emotions in in some liquid form at a canvas. Right. Um, and I. I found something relieving in that. And over time, I found ways to control what it was that I was doing. But my my earlier series, like right out of grad school, was really me dealing with my pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't doing it consciously as much as it was I felt something that I had to get out. But I was given the example, um, not necessarily as a means of dealing with pain, but I was given the example of how to create work. So I had an outlet. I had something that I was familiar with, at least in part, that I could let myself learn more about, that I could let myself fall into. Right, right. And I think that every time I, and that's one of the things that I really love most about about creating, especially with paint, is that like every stroke you, every time you touch the surface of the canvas, you you change it. And I'm a person who who needs a certain amount of say instant gratification. Right. And it's a, it's such a rewarding art form, even if it's a bad line or a spot here and there. You can like, fix it. You yeah. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I love I love that part of it as well. Like being able to be comfortable with the mistakes and and let them live there. That's interesting you say that, um, Io, being comfortable with the mistakes. And when we think of art, 
right? When we think of art, we think of painting, but art exists in a variety of forms, mm-hmm. right? And I think that when we think about men and art, right, we don't often think about uh, UFC. Ha- Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But some of the most prolific dancers, right? Mm-hmm. Artists, choreographers, musicians. There, there's a, a plethora of art forms. And we have to be able to push our young men, particularly, to find their pain. Often the greatest music that we've heard has been someone working through their pain, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the interesting piece. Um, we did, if, you know, I want you to speak to this, Kalala. Remember, we did an, uh, a paint and sip. Right. And people were like, what? Men did a paint and sip? Yeah, we did a we did a paint and sip. And it was actually our most well attended event. Right. And we had the men really just talking, talking through some of the issues that they were going through while they were painting. What was the relevance for you being a part of that? And what did you hear from them as we were ending that session? Yeah. So just for the record, I was always blocked out of those sessions. Um, But when I was able to sneak in for a few minutes, I was really impressed with the engagement of the group, number one. Um, I thought it was going to be like, men aren't going to want to do this. But they were there. They showed up. They were they were struggling through it or they were, you know, they felt they seemed challenged. But also the conversation wasn't like, let's discuss your pain. It was it was brothers around the table just talking about stuff. And it it was a space for men to do their art thing without even necessarily thinking about it. They were, some of them were struggling, right? We all struggle with it. Yeah. And so, but then also I heard conversations around sports and football, but then also like I caught glimpses of other stuff too. Right. And so, um, I think that again, creating that space to be able to have that outlet, I didn't think it was going to, going to go over well at all. Exactly. But also, that's what I heard when we were doing our needs assessment. That's what we got. Like People said that. People said, like men told us, we want to do things like this, right. but no one asked us to. I think we should. Right. And so. Uh, you want to say something? Uh, yeah, I was actually going to chime in and something, some things all come full circle. Like a, a minute ago, I got a, I got a message on my phone letting me know that there's a young man who wants to perform at the next Pass It On that we do. But he, his art form is dance, and normally that's not necessarily something we, we have, not because we don't welcome that art form, but more or less we've never had someone say, I want to come, but I want to dance. Mm-hmm. Um, so pass it on, like having not introduced it as a as a thing, is a, is a monthly open mic that we do that we also offer to other platforms and uh, other art forms. And as a young man who just recently said that he, he wants to come, but he wants to dance, and I love the idea that someone's letting us know that – we have. I have a, a need. This is something I need to get out, right. and there's not a lot of outlets for me to just dance. Exactly. Like if I'm not getting paid for it, if I don't have a ton of experience, sometimes there's, there's, it's a nurturing audience that's needed at times. People mm-hmm. need to know that they can do something in a safe space and be encouraged while they're doing it. So looking to be able to just create spaces that people can do whatever it is that they do and maybe find out some things that they might be interested in that they didn't realize they were. Exactly. Key that you said, safe spaces, and our, our young men um, uh, along the gender spectrum you know, who like to do different things, need those safe spaces. I remember going to a burlesque show. Uh, we went to a burlesque mm-hmm. show, my sister and I here. Had a great time. Mm-hmm. But there was a brother there. Oh, he right. was bad. Right. He was, he, right. <laughs> he this was brother bad. was bad, yeah, right? Was. Um, this brother was And I, I, don't wanna, I don't want to, uh, to assume his, uh, his sexual relationship orientation, right? Um, but this brother, he danced. I mean, he danced and... He was doing a burlesque show, yeah. right? And um, and I remember at first feeling. I need to call for my lessons. <laughs> he did this the sock and shoe thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but quietly, I felt a little uncomfortable sitting in the first row at first, mm. right? Because here here's this brother, right, doing a burlesque show in front of all these people, and I'm in the front row. We all sit together, mm-hmm. and I'm like. All right, you know, you're scantily clad, and this is a. But then I had to realize like, that's my own stuff, mm-hmm. right? And we've got to be able to work through our own stuff, yeah. right? Um, so I, it goes back to that providing that safe space for all of our young men, right? Because if, if that safe space does not exist, Io and Kyla, what happens? And I think that's that's the piece that Making Connections is trying to do is that if we don't provide safe spaces or we don't provide safe communities for our young men, right, um, who may be struggling with some issue, particularly around their relationship orientation or gender identity, whatever it is, they may feel left out, mm-hmm. right, ostracized, nowhere to go, 
nowhere to talk about it. And then that leads to mental health issues that we are seeing all across the board. And that's why we're seeing suicide being one of the leading causes of young men during adolescence. And so we've got to be able to provide these outlets. You know, a little late in our caller ID, I mean caller ID, but you listen to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corpru, my great friend Kalali Collins here, um, program executive director of Making Connections, NOLA, my good friend Io Scott, a prolific artist. Brother, tell me the organization that you're working with, or what is your organization? I haven't said that. Uh, making Connections? Uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned Pass It On. Um, it's not a part of a larger organization is kind of a collection of friends but right. they're very very loosely structured probably too loosely structured gotcha but uh we've been in existence it's organic. for a good 10 it's called organic yeah, it's yeah, it's organic he's a grassroots type of you guy go. you know what I'm saying? i mean but you know we we've, we've just celebrated our 10 year anniversary right. and it makes you realize wait wait if you've been doing this for 10 years you might want to organize a little bit more right <laughs> at least plan a succession right plan, you know right so kalala and i'm very happy for you know just the success um you know that you've been having io um Kalala, let's talk about some of the successes. We've been through now um, year one, year, maybe year two. Year two. Year two of Making Connections. What type of successes have you seen through the program in St. Rock? And St. Rock is one of the oldest communities in New Orleans. Um, St. Rock is going through gentrification, all these different things. But what are some of the successes with the men that you've seen based on the programming that we have been able to enact? I think one of the biggest things was a couple things. Um we have uh, one young man who um, comes around or who is coming around and hanging out who has taken up like a leadership space. Right, Nehemiah. Um, now. Yeah, and he comes in. I think you talk about Nehemiah on the show all the time. I've heard you right. mention him before. Um, young guy um, trying to turn his life around and is just really taking up space as a leader um, in our work now. And so that's amazing. But um, the masculinity group that you helped us facilitate – um, I was sitting outside one day, and the partner of one of the uh, men who were in the group stopped me, and she came to me, and she said, I don't know what you all are doing in this group, but it is helping. It's helped our marriage. He's wow. communicating different. He's communicating better. He's found other outlets to to address or bring or to communicate, so he's bought a sketchbook. He's you know, sketching now and just like just doing things different than right. seems to be making things better. And not that they were having a bad marriage or a hard time, but this only enhanced um, his ability to communicate and share and be um, a better version of himself. There you go. That's right. Right. <laughs> and so that that to me has been the most profound, I think, is that. um when you when you're doing something for the first time, you don't know if it's going to work. You don't know what's happening. I mean, although we did have some evidence base behind what we were doing, you still just never know what's going to happen. Um, and so to get that validation, like this is actually working. This is the thing. And she's shouting it from the rooftops. I mean, right. we were in a meeting a few weeks after that, and she was in that meeting and just like glowing praises. And and so um, that's been the most profound, I think, piece right. of it. So. And that's that, that's a great thing. The healthy masculinity work that we've been doing, um, and, and thanks to your leadership, you know, and allowing us to have the space to pilot something like that, um, was um, amazing. And one of the greatest pieces that we were able to talk about and really work through was having an elder, right? Mm -hmm. And you think about that. We, we talk about boys and men, right? And oftentimes it's boys, uh, you think about that. We, we say boys a, a lot and that, that programming and the money goes into boys. Mm -hmm. But we think about, you know, and I, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, you have a youthful face, black don't crack, you know what I'm saying? But you probably, you, you might be just as old as I am, right? I'm 65. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you're probably late 30s, early 40s, mm -hmm. right? And as we grow, we still need help. We still, but, uh, and we may not ask for that help. And I think with having Mr. D in the group, I don't know if Mr. D would have asked for help at any point in time, right? Because there were a lot of things that he eventually said that he was afraid of or experiences that he had had that we couldn't really codify in the beginning. Uh -huh. But spending time with Mr. D and really upholding him as the elder of the group, I think that lifted him up. Uh -huh. And I think that we have to do that, that as men, we have to realize that we still need support. Uh -huh. We still need to feel loved and appreciated no matter what and mr d has been through it uh -huh, uh -huh. right he's been incarcerated he's dealing with kidney issues now he has you know prostate cancer but at no point in time did mr d said you know what i'm gonna give up and he we believed in him 
as much as he believed in the group. Mm-hmm. And so I think the point that I'm trying to say is that when you bring men together, acknowledge the older men in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. Give them the space to be who they are, but also allow them to ask for help. Yeah. And I think that is a critical space that we need to lift up is that at no point in time in our lives that should we be afraid to ask for help. No point in time, no matter how old you are. And that vulnerability and there's that V word, everybody that I talk about every week, that vulnerability to say, you know what, I, I need something. Mm-hmm. Right. I need something that is going to allow me to thrive. And that that is the point that we're trying to make. In thriving. So success, you know, tremendous success. You know, we're going to go to break in one second. But what does year three look like for you in making connections? Oh, my goodness. Um, so year three, we're going to be doing some more of the great work of Pass It On with Io and his team. Um, so open mics will be happening um, in the St. Rock neighborhood. So just stay on the lookout for that because they're going to be all over St. Rock, not just in one place. Right. I can't tell you exactly where. It may be in the church. It may be in the neutral ground. It may be in the park. Um, that's a big piece of what's going on next year. Um, we are also... Um, trying to get our youth council and youth programming started. Um, our programming to date has been intergenerational, and it's, I want it to be that way mostly because, again, having that space to have our elders in the room with our young people because I feel like they both, they both feel like they're not being listened to right. or aren't being heard. And so I think that having those spaces for both um, to happen simultaneously is really important. But... Um, so those are the biggest pieces, and then continuing on with our our um, our monthly home sessions where we share a meal and talk about a topic for the night, depending depending on what's going on. And so um, those are the biggest pieces for, right. next, for next year. Well, I look forward to it. You've been listening to the What's Your Revolution show, Kalila Collins, Program Executive Director of Making Connections, Io Scott, probably one of the most prolific talented artists that we have here in New Orleans and we've been talking about mental health and well-being and suicide prevention for boys and men of color but men in general as well when we come back on the other side we've got some hot topics (laughs) that I think I want to get some of their opinions on so stay tuned we'll see you on the other side welcome back to the Western Revolution show Shout out to everybody who's listening in today all across the world. And my people on Facebook, thank you for joining in. You are getting a sight today seeing the beautiful, smart, intelligent, well-versed, you know, liberator, as she called herself, Kalala Collins. That's right, the liberator. That's what I'm going to call you from now on, the liber- liberating my people, right? Let my people go, right? You know, you are prolific. I want you to know that. I don't think, I, here's the thing, I don't, I don't think that you sit in that space well enough. You know, I'm going to put you on the couch. Yeah, I'm like, what, what is happening right yeah, now? I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm going to put you on. I, I think that you should sit in this space of being, you know, uh, a leader, uh, a leader amongst leaders, right? You're doing amazing work, and I don't think that it is appreciated as much or people get to tell you that the work that you've been doing for the last three years in this community is tremendous. And, it, you know, when you say Kalala Collins, I think people need to understand that you are a force when it comes to this work and that you have been doing amazing, amazing work for your life. So I appreciate and applaud you for what you do. So take that. I'll make sure I tell Derek. Well, thank you. Yeah, tell Derek. <laughs> tell Derek. How prolific I am. That's right. And we're joined by, as I said, probably one of the most talented artists that we have here in the city of New Orleans, Ayo Scott. Met this brother a number of years ago and still waiting for my tree shirt, you know. Trying to relaunch the company. I know, brother. <laughs> I, I know, dear brother. Um, we had a, a great conversations about making connections. And, and those of you who are just joining, joining us, making connections is uh, the program by the Movember, Movember Foundation and the Prevention Institute out in Oakland that really looks at community-level programming and policy that influences boys and men of color. Uh, around mental health and well-being and suicide prevention. Um, but in saying that, right, in, in saying that, we have to have conversations about, you know, contemporary topics that may be affecting our boys in the community. And so there are a couple things that have come up um, over the last couple weeks, last last couple days that are kind of hot topics, but I think are still relevant to the conversation that we're having. And we saw the brother... Um, the seven foot one center, 
from whatever team he's playing for now. Maybe he's Washington, but he's played for the Lakers. He's played for the Orlando Magic. He's played for the Houston Rockets, but Dwight Howard. Um, and the issues that I don't see, I, I want to make sure that my language is correct, right? So I don't want to call these issues, right? And those of you who have not been paying attention, Dwight Howard uh, is in the news because um, a transgender woman um, basically detailed her relationship with him. And but then there's been some disparity, whether it's a transgender woman or just a gay man. Um, and there has been a ton of backlash from Dwight Howard's team uh, against this person, um, as well as um, outrage and backlash towards Dwight Howard. But not about not not in the way that we think that. Right. We have been the, the backlash has been about almost. That questioning his his relationship orientation. So, Claude, I wanted to get your feelings about this, you know, from your expertise and thinking through why do you think the backlash is coming towards him? And then, and then, if you don't know, my understanding is that his camp went after this person, right, right, and threatened to in their lives. And so what what is your feelings as as a person who's doing this masculinity work and how does it make you feel and why do you think that we see this backlash towards him in such a way and not the backlash that he's been trying to threaten this person's life? Yeah, so I and forgive me because I only heard a snippet on the Breakfast Club, right. the whole story. Right. So that, that's and, and, my knowledge of the issue. Right, and you know the Breakfast Club um, is... <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Charlemagne did his donkey of the day, and that was the topic. And so um, I'm, I am concerned that people are more... Um, people are more concerned if this is true or if Dwight Howard is gay or if Dwight Howard is sleeping with transgender people or whatever than they are that if Dwight Howard is threatening this person. Exactly. Life. And so for me, that's the problem. I don't care who Dwight Howard's sleeping with because I know he's not calling me on my phone. He's not <laughs> in my DMs. Right. So I don't really care who he's sleeping with. But if, in fact, if his people or he are threatening this person, then that's the that's the issue for me. Right. So, um, yeah, I think that's the problem. I, but I also know that there's, you know, deeper issues or, or issues that, come before i guess to get to that point but um violence is where i draw the line exactly for me that's 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 my my thing right we can joke about a lot of things but uh, violence is my 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 stopping point and so um yeah that's yeah why do you think that we continue to bring violence against uh, our lgbtq community our brothers and sisters in, in the LGBT community. Why do you think that when it comes to this, you know, in, in this situation, that violence is the is the focal point, is the the means to, you know, I don't want to say disarm, but to e heighten the masculinity. Well, that's what it is. It's about yeah. masculinity, right? So our problem with homosexuality. And I'm trying to be careful because a sign right here says no profanity. Um, <laughs> but our problem with homosexuality is about who is supposed to be. I'm trying to think who. How can I say this without saying what I want to say? But it's it's we don't have a problem with two gay women. Right. We don't have a problem so with double that. standard. We have a problem with men being on the receiving end of the act right mm, right and that's the problem we have and so um so in order to combat that we we turn around with violence as our answer exactly right so that's a problem for me um and and to me it's a larger conversation around violence against women what we think is what we take and value as strong or important or who's supposed to do what or whatever so to me it's a larger conversation not just about homosexuality as much as it is about like gender roles gender norms um, and violence against women. Right. And and also the rigid gender norms that we have in the black community. Yeah. Right. And and it's interesting that we the backlash towards him is because many of us have these rigid gender norms that mm -hmm. you're not you're not supposed to do that. You're a man. You play basketball. Yeah. 
right? Right? You're this big, strong, Herculean figure. You're dunking a ball, right? <laughs> right? It, it, exactly. But, but that's how we look at masculine. We think of strength like you can jump really high. You're lean and cut all of these different things. And so you are now this stereotypical figure of heterosexuality. And if you cross that line or perceive the cross line, you're weak, you're, um, you're effeminate, you, you can't, you can't be the person that we thought you were. Right. right. And so, so we're solutions oriented conversation, right? What, where do we have to go in our communities, right? How is this conversation, you know, integrated into a making connections program? Ooh, um, <laughs> that's a lot, right? I think that, um, the way I've always approached it. Um, so I taught um, a women and gender studies um, course in a all-male prison. And so my first question when I walk in, so you always ask, what's your revolution? I would always ask these men who were doing 20 or 30 years in a prison, are you a feminist? And so they would always start off with, no, of course not, no, I'm not that, blah, blah, blah. And then by the end of the class... I would their final their final project their final their final question on their, on their final was are you a feminist and their answers always change dramatically right and so it's, it has to be a disarming conversation we have to have it in a way that people are ready to be open and receive it but I think it's not it's in, it can't come from a place of bashing and reattacking or re-traumatizing the person it has to come from a very um a place of love and and knowledge and education like i said to me it's not an issue about men or women or about gay or not it's about um power privilege though like and reinforcing those structures as more than it is about the actual act of sex right so. right and not so you're saying the reinforcing of those structures but did we have to actually rewire what those structures are is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right. We yeah, exactly. We have to tear those structures yeah. down. Um the problem with this is that somebody's right. going to lose some power. Right. Right. And so we think when we think about in terms of equity and no one no one wants to give up their power. There's privilege and power. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's what this is. And so my assumption and that's what I'm making an assumption. You listen to what's the revolution show and and we're we're making assumptions that because this Person and, and I'm saying person simply because I want to make sure that I didn't, you know, it said I read one Don't account, gender, yeah. yeah, transgender. The other account was a, a gay man um, that came out and told this story, and then his faction, his group, threatened this person's life. And right. see, I heard it that he came out to tell a story because. They were threatening his life, so I wouldn't. I don't know which happened first. Right. Well, way, it's a chicken and yeah, yeah either, it's a chicken and an egg. Right. Exactly. But no one is no. I haven't seen it. You know, the people that do the work that all, all three of us do have becoming have have come to this side. Like, look, we need to talk about right what's going on on the underneath the, the baseline, mm. the baseline about this, mm -hmm. and why the conversation needs to be more about. Like, yo, it's 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 okay, right? He shouldn't have to worry about someone outing him because of his his behavior, if it's true. We don't know if it's true. But that's the worry that we have as black men, uh, is that if someone outs you against your prescribed heterosexuality, right, and it's not what you actually prescribe to, you then have to go to extreme lengths to defend yourself, right? So we think about the mental health ramifications that happen because of that. Right. That you particularly, you know, uh, the language these days is about, you know, not coming out, but inviting in. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really interesting thing. Like, I don't want to come. I don't want to have to come out. Right. As people are saying, I want to be able to invite people in. Right. Mm -hmm. This is my lifestyle. Right. And that's what people are saying, that people who identify as LGBTQ want to say, look, I'm inviting you into my life. I shouldn't have to have I shouldn't have to. Because that's your privilege. I got to come out to you, right? Right. No. And so that's the interesting thing. We have to get past that point, right? We have to get past that point because why are we so happy when someone comes, uh, invites the world in? We're like, oh wow, right? right. It, it just happens every day. Right. And so that's that is a very interesting conversation. Um, I hope, I hope that this is rectified. I hope that 
Dwight has the ability to look introspectively, because that's what we push here in Making Connections, looking introspectively at your world. We talked about triggers, right, and how these triggers amplify. So I, I hope and I hope that this person um, that is in the middle of this is safe, right, that that trauma, because that's what happens. We traumatize, right, and you think about that. What happens when you traumatize somebody? They're going to pass that trauma on to someone else. And we have to make sure that we don't traumatize people who are not, you know, that may not identify like us. Um, so it's an interesting conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens, um, what are going to be the ramifications. Uh, and if you were Dwight Howard's people, right, what would you say to him? Well, I would tell him to live in his live in his truth mm. and be who he is. And, right. And whoever he feels the need to or feels the desire to be with and that then then do that. But I also um think that about everybody should be able to, to do as long as they're not hurting anybody, to do what makes them happy. Right. Um and I just hate that everybody can't can't live in their truth. And so um talking about equity I think that we have a long way to go on um, people being able to to live in their truth, right? And that's what we want. We want people to be able to live in their truth. Thank you for everybody who's watching. Um, I appreciate it uh, on Facebook and everybody listening in today. So let's move away from this conversation. And you know, I, I've speak, spoken and written at length about this topic. And there was a linebacker from the San Francisco 49ers that was waived the other day because he had been arrested um, and charged with domestic abuse. And Another one of the issues that we talk about, men seeing women as ornate, seeing women as um, the ability or, or the ability to be subservient. And so this brother is making, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars in the NFL. Right. So he was waived by the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, he was then arrested again for domestic violence. Um, and. Watching the news last night, watching ESPN, because it's one of my, you know, I, I just do that. I turn on ESPN, kind of put the noise, and I look, and I see that this brother has been picked up by the Washington football team, right? And, you know, I, I think back, I, I hearken back to the last three years, right, and what we've what we've been dealing with with the <laughs> Colin Kaepernick situation, um, and that this brother can take a, a knee. This brother can take a knee in protest towards injustices that happen in our country, but you can beat women and still be paid millions of dollars. Um, what, what do we do? You know, what's, what's the next step for us, right? What, what do we do as a people when we see something like this happen? I mean, how did one aisle, how does it make you feel? Right. And two, what, what do we do? Um, I guess I'm not sure which problem you're pointing out. In particular, because there are several of them laying there. Right. What comes um, to mind for you? Whether or not we're talking about the Kaepernick situation, which, you know, to my understanding, he's made some some headway legally, or at least the, the judge is supposedly allowing for certain stuff to move forward, um, or or the bigger picture of um, of domestic violence. Yes. And there's a there's a lot. Um, I can see but the holding, fr frustration hold, on your face. I mean, I, I really is just a, a a big question of, but where do you start? Which is like, I mean, to an extent, what you're asking. Um, I feel like holding organizations accountable for certain things, but maybe sometime that organization needing to be a little bit higher. Maybe not the football team, but the league as a whole. Right, um, exactly. But that's never seemed to work out when you have the league doing things like they do. Right. So there there is no value, like a real value system that's in place with dealing with somebody like that. So there is, I, I'm not really sure how you could expect there to be value-based decision-making mm. when it comes down to the kind of stuff that they do. They're just trying to collect a check. I at, mean, at they, the end they, of they the won't day. change the name of their team. Right. Yeah. They won't, they won't, you know, stand up for the fact that someone's repeatedly been called out for beating, beating women. Mm -hmm. They, they won't stand up for the, the civil, for the right to speak out for other people's civil rights. So, I mean, so where does that football as a come whole, from? Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess maybe that I don't know if that was an intentional transition from your previous uh, conversation, but about just maybe the 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 ideas or issues that go along with what that sport is right. inherently. Um, 
there's a lot of things that the NFL could have changed. I feel like I'm, I'm not trying to babble on your show. No, <laughs> but if you think about the Ray Rice situation that happened a number of years ago. Um, initially, he got two games, mm-hmm. right? And then he became a league pariah and never played again, um, which is also quite interesting and, and subjective in itself. Um, but it boggles my mind because you, you have to intersect the that the Colin Kaepernick situation and the the inability for the league to say – because they have marketed themselves, mm-hmm. right? Marketing campaigns. They have brought women in to help them with their marketing, to help. And yet, right? And, and yet, this brother still is employed, right? As, as, as of yesterday, right? And I don't know what the backlash is going to be. It should be enormous. This brother should not have a job, right? Particularly, he should not have a job if you're going to hold, right? Colin Kaepernick accountable for, for, kneeling in protest right so what we're saying and i i know i'm saying the obvious is that he was protesting domestic violence what if someone was taking a needed protest domestic violence exactly because they still need a job right you know and and (laughs) but that's the interesting thing why isn't somebody i would love i I think that you brought up a very uh a very poignant perspective is that somebody should be taking a knee on sunday in protest of what happened Domestic violence, right? Because we don't, then or we're the lack of repercussions. Therefore, the, absolutely, a, exactly. Because we don't, we're saying that, and we've been saying it for centuries, right? That women's lives, regardless of race, right, religion, don't matter, don't matter. Mm-hmm. right? And that is the that is what the perspective that you're saying. You can still make millions of dollars, right? You, we don't care about women. That's exactly what they're saying. We don't care about women. We're saying with Dwight Howard, we don't care about the LGBTQ community right that's what we're saying we don't care because it's more so about that conversation about what are you doing like you 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 know it's the conversation has been more about him potentially being gay than than the violence Mm -hmm. and that is the problem that we have and and you know i want to say that making connections is or is is trying to tamper and stem right actions like this and to see that Women are not ornate, that are, are people, you know, involved uh, who identify as LGBTQ are safe, that we can provide safety spaces for them and that the men, right, are allies. And that I think that that is the key piece. Well, I think it's more that we have the ability to have healthy interactions across the board. Right. So a person who is mad at Dwight Howard for being gay cannot be in the healthiest of spaces. Right. That's that's in my that's my opinion. Um, and Say it can, again. Exactly. And you can my I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> um, so like if that's your that's your thing and you're more mad about that than you are about him threatening somebody's life, then then that's a problem for me. That's not that means you're not in you're not in your best space. Right. And you're so not, I think that you're not, you're not the healthiest version yeah, of yourself. Yeah. And so figuring out like what does that mean? So like you said earlier about having to deal with your stuff, like deal with your stuff and something right. that connections to space where people can deal with figure out what their stuff is and deal with their stuff. And um and until we do that, then we're going to continue to have that, right? So, like, if if you're okay with this person getting paid while he continues to beat women, then you need to address that, right? right. Like, you know, thinking about I am a huge Saints fan, huge, right? To the point where I might have been to a game or two during the boycott. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> saying I did or I didn't. It was a nice, nice but, uh, zip up you had on the other day. Oh. It was cute, wasn't it? I know it. I saw that. Um, but <laughs> thinking about like what does that mean? So like we if we if we don't believe in something, how we spend our money is definitely the way we can like voice that concern right. and opinion. And so yes, the NFL is not going to change because they have no reason to, right? They don't have any incentive to change. So mm-hmm. we should expect that accountability from a a moral organization. If there's no if there's no reason for them to change, right? Just like this country is not going to change until right. they have incentive to change, um, and so. But I'm also a a person who believes in tearing it all down and starting from scratch. Right. So that's just me. But I think that um, back to being making connections and and being 
um, mentally stable and that kind of thing or being able to address your issues. Like if we were honest and true with ourselves, maybe we would be able to accept people for who they are and how they live without it being a threat to who we are and how we live. Exactly. Live and live and let live, right? As long as you ain't hurt nobody. No, it is a very interesting piece. But for me, I had to work through my stuff. Like I had to work through that, and I am fortunate to have people in my life who are who I call family, who are a part of the LGBTQ community. And like I said, if you come for them, I'm coming for you. Yeah. yeah but I had to get to that space, you know, because yeah. we are so. I was socialized, and Natalie Burke would say, make sure that you individualize this and don't community. I had to really see where I sat. Right. And how I had been socialized as a black man around um, homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's very, very interesting because, you know, at the end, of the day, like, why are you hitting on me? Like, you know, and well, I mean, you're a nice looking man. Well, thank so. you. You know what I'm saying? And anyone who finds Charles Corporate attractive. Thank you. Especially <laughs> He's at this on age. Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well. Yeah, that's that, that's right. So, you know, at, at this age, if you look, if you like Charles Corporate right now, uh, you're good. I, I definitely appreciate it. Um, but it, it took me a point to to get there, to get to this space where I was going to become an advocate and an ally. Um, and if you had asked me 20 years ago, I'd have been like, nope. Yeah. Uh-uh. And but now working through my stuff, well, having great friends who challenge, right, and check me, mm-hmm. particularly when my language is off and wrong, right, and being open to that is going to be crucial. Yeah, it's going to be crucial to our success. It always goes by fast. It does. Yeah, it always goes by fast. When you have great people on the show, great conversation, um, it's been amazing. So Kalala Collins Executive Director of Making Connections here in St. Rock, offshoot of Movember Foundation. Movember ends uh, on Friday. So go ahead. Make sure you go to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and find Making Connections. You can find them at making, Make Connects, C-O-N-N-E-X-N-O-L-A. That's right. So thank you. And my good friend, my, my man, Ayo Scott. You know, how can they find you, brother? Uh, Ayoscott.com. A-Y-O Scott. There you go. I appreciate the time. It means a lot to me. It uh, means a lot to everybody who chimes in on Facebook and on WBOK and WHIV who listen to the show. Check us out next week. I have a special guest for you as we have our last show of the year. Shout out to Jazz behind the wheel of steel. We'll see you next week, everybody. Take care. Peace. a.m. The People's Station. The following program is a paid program that doesn't necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the staff, management, and advertisers of WBOK. This is a rebroadcast. Trouble if you let